You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Have you ever wondered, is it worth it? We all find ourselves at moments in our faith, if you follow Jesus for more than a day, where it's more difficult than we thought it would be. Uh, maybe you thought that you know, the moment you got baptized that all of your struggles would go away. And while we experience forgiveness of sins, we're still on this journey of growing to maturity in Christ. And so maybe that same sin, that same struggle or that same temptation, it still haunts you from time to time. Or maybe it's not on that side of things, it's on growing to be more and more like Christ. You know, we have the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We should be growing the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe for you, there's been specific fruits of the Spirit that have been more difficult to grow. Maybe it's patience, as an example, where you'd love to be more patient, and yet the kids are just getting on your nerves, or things are going uh, difficult at work. And so we find ourselves at these moments where sometimes we even question our faith. Is it worth it? Is following Jesus really worth it? It's so difficult. It's so hard. There's the peer pressure. There's the culture. There's all these kind of things. And then to add on top of that, there is a cost that comes with our calling. We've been talking about uh, our calling, looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and, and Paul's calling as an apostle and our calling to follow Jesus and what that means for us. But there's always a cost associated with our calling. That cost might be uh, a directional change in your life where God is calling you to a specific vocation or career. It might be a cost of your time, your energy in serving someone. Sometimes it's even a financial cost of generosity and God calling us to give towards his kingdom. And in those moments, you might be really willing to step into whatever that cost is, but then there's that almost second thought that comes up, is this really worth it? Is this going to be worth it in the end? I think about the younger generations, Gen Z and the emerging generation behind them. They are leaving the church in droves. Thousands of young people walking away from the church, walking away from their faith because they don't have a good answer to the question, is it worth it? And if we want to make it through these rough patches, if we want to make it through these difficult seasons that we experience in our faith, we have to be real and honest about the things that we wrestle with. We have to be honest and ask that question, is it worth it? And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Some of the things that will help us get through those difficult times in our calling. Uh, I met this week with a buddy at a coffee shop, and God had called him to start a children's home in Uganda. And he talks about uh, his journey, and, and he talks about this moment where it was early on, and he had no money, and he was sitting in a field, and I think he was sipping a root beer, and he was just sitting there dejectedly about to knock on his parents' door and see if he could move back in with his parents as a 20-something-year-old. And he talks about moments like that along the way because it's easy for us to look at you know, th things once they've already arrived or once the nonprofit has started. And I even think about my own journey of Hill City Church. I think about, you know, leading up to the launch of Hill City Church, there were times that I would come home just so discouraged and so difficult, even in this season, if I'm honest, 
with all the fundraising and all the construction and things not going as planned or not going as fast as I would like them to, to really get discouraged. And in those moments, in our walk and in our calling to follow Jesus, we need to be able to answer that question, is it worth it? That's what we're going to be looking at today from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. We're going to stop right there halfway through verse 8. Paul is going to go on and he's going to talk about specifically the grace that has been given to him. But here, what he does is he talks about himself in really humble terms. I mean, think about this. We know Paul as author of, you know, many of the letters in the New Testament. We know him as a phenomenal missionary, a church planter, like a powerful leader. And yet he says these different things that really kind of uh, showcase his humility. And I don't believe it's a false humility either. He, first of all, calls himself a minister. God has made him a minister. Now, that word minister might seem high up in esteem for us, but it's uh, the Greek word diakonos, and it's really the word servant. It's where we get the word deacon from. It's, it, instead of saying, God made me an apostle, although he is an apostle, he's saying, I'm just a servant in God's kingdom. He also says that he is the least of all the saints, and in Greek, linguistically, it's literally, he's the leastest or he's the least of the least of the saints. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, right? You know, isn't Paul this great spiritual giant? Why is it that he would call himself the least? And then he gives God credit. He isn't saying, you know, I've been appointed to this task, and look at how hard I've been working, what I've been doing, and how much I've accomplished for the sake of the kingdom. What he says is, everything I've done is God's power working in me. And he actually says something very similar to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, this is what Paul writes. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So here in, in Ephesians 3 and then in 1 Corinthians 15, what we see is really kind of these similar themes. One of the reasons why Paul might say that he's the least of the saints has nothing to do with, you know, like I said, false humility. It has nothing to do with him, him thinking that he, you know, isn't saved or anything like that. What he's really saying is he's remembering his past. He's, he's hyper aware of the fact that he was not worthy to be an apostle. He didn't, he didn't you know, climb the, the ladder in the church and, and, and gain this position as an apostle. In fact, it's only by the grace of God. It's only because God chose to save him and to use him and to commission him for the purpose of ministry. And then he uses this word grace. And this is really interesting for us because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has just finished saying that we are saved by grace through faith, not by grace. Works And so what that has caused in the church today is many people to view the concepts of grace and works as opposites, right? Grace is what saves you and works has nothing to do with it, right? And, and yet here, what we see in both 1 Corinthians 15 and in Ephesians 3 is what Paul is saying is he's saying, God's grace not only saves me, 
God's grace is what allows me to do the good works, right? So, so grace and works are not opposites. In fact, we could say it like this. You could say that God's grace empowers us for good works. That's one of the things that God's grace does. God, God does not just give us the gift of salvation. He gives us the gift uh, of having a role and a place in his kingdom. You could say that if we never, you know, if our faith never overflows into good works, if our faith in Jesus never moves us to action, then we are experiencing an incomplete version of grace. That the grace that God has on our lives is not coming to fruition or fulfillment in the way that God truly desires for every single one of us. And so that, that's good news. That means that you know, in those difficult times, in our calling, that we have to remember that, that playing that role in God's kingdom is something God has given to us. It's our slice of the pie. It's our gift of grace. And the reality is God doesn't empower couch potatoes. What I mean by that is, is God doesn't empower people who aren't already willing to step out in faith and do something, to do those good works that they were created for in Christ Jesus. And so one of the best ways that we can actually learn how we're gifted, to identify the gifts of grace that God has given you, is really just trial and error. Is, is really having this posture and this attitude of being willing to get off the sidelines, get off the bench, and get in the game. And when we, when we just uh, learn and try to, to serve in ministry and try and find out what those things are, God actually grows us in certain areas. He reveals to us pretty quickly what we're good at, what we're not good at. Maybe he might use other people to speak into you and, and highlight and have this conversation, an I see in you conversation. I see this in you. I want to fan this flame of the gift that I see. And so really for us, we can't be couch potatoes. There's no couch potatoes in the kingdom of heaven. We can't be these people who sit on the sidelines intentionally and just leave the work of ministry up to others. We've all been given a gift of grace and we learn it by using it. We, we learn how God has gifted us as we grow and we try and we, and we see. And, and that grace is really not opposed to, you know, the grace that God gives us to save us. It has nothing to do with saving us. Dallas Willard is famous for saying, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And that means is, it means that, you know, the grace that God has for us, it doesn't have to do with earning our salvation or anything like that. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's working. How does God's power work in him? It works in him as he gets to work, as he's working in ministry, as he's, as he's active and activating those kind of gifts. And we need to get off the couch when, when it comes to our faith. We need to get out of the sidelines and into the game. And so I would just, uh, I would just encourage you, a practice for us to think about is to serve God's kingdom with the grace given to you. That's a practice for us. Serve God's kingdom with the grace given to you. And that could look a lot of different ways. We want to serve in God's kingdom, use what he's given us for the sake of his ministry. And that might look like doing things outside of the church. It might look like just sharing your faith consistently with your coworkers or your neighbors. It might look like, you know, overseas ministry. It might look like starting a nonprofit. It might look like these huge callings, or it might look really simple. Uh, For us, it might look like serving within Hill City Church. And, and we believe that serving is significant, not just to run the church and, and to get all the programs done, that serving is significant for your discipleship. If you want to grow into maturity as a disciple of Christ, you need to be serving. 
It's a necessary step. We need to be activating those gifts. And I just want to invite you to, to look at all the different areas. We have tons of different ministry opportunities within our church, whether it's kids ministry, youth ministry, worship, production. We have administrative. We have cleaning. We have all these kind of different uh, ways to serve. And I would encourage you, if you're not serving in our church, to go to hillcityboise.org slash serve. You can read about all these different areas, and there's a button at the bottom of the page that just says sign up to serve. And I would love to invite you to find your gifts and to activate the gifts of grace God has used, given you for the sake of his kingdom. Now let's look more in depth at the calling that God gave to Paul. All right, the second half of Ephesians 3, verse 8. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now there's two elements that we see here for Paul's calling. The first one is Paul is called to preach Christ to the Gentiles. He calls himself elsewhere uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, this isn't to say that Paul never did ministry to the Jews. In fact, when he would go to a city, one of the first places he would visit is the synagogue. He would go and he would start and he would do ministry to the Jews, but he specifically knew that God wanted to use him in a unique way to reach out to the Gentiles, to reason with the Gentiles, to share the gospel. And he has this ministry of reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's this mystery of Christ we talked about last week with the household of God, and there's unity and there's equality within the church. And this, this word that Paul uses, unsearchable, for the unsearchable riches of Christ is really interesting. Uh, it comes from the Greek word ichneon, which means footprint. And, and literally how it might read is, it, 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 is if somebody were to try and track someone down or track an animal down using footprints, there's too, too many to follow, right? That's kind of the idea. That if you want to follow and trace, like, what are the riches that we have in Christ Jesus? There's too many of them. You can't figure it out. It's unfathomable. It's unexplainable. It's indescribable. It's unsearchable. There's so many different words we could use to explain this. And really, that's so significant because for the Gentiles, man, they might not realize the riches that are available to them in Christ Jesus. And we may not always realize that either. In fact, when there are times when we doubt our calling, when we're struggling in our faith, we need to remember the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ that are available to us in the gospel. This is what R. Kent Hughes says to describe it. What are the unsearchable riches? They are saving riches, sanctifying riches, relational riches, practical riches, eternal riches. And he says this, Christ always enriches life. Christ always enriches life. Now, this, this might not look like, you know, every Christian is going to be a millionaire, right? It, it may not always look like monetary riches, although I do believe that God, you know, he, he takes care of us and he provides for us. But what it always looks like is it always looks like Christ, he, he makes our life better. He, he, he makes our life better. He enriches our life. Life is better with Christ. And it doesn't mean that there's, there's never going to be any suffering or trial. In fact, Jesus promised that there would be suffering that there would be trials, but there are riches available in Christ Jesus which are not found anywhere else in this world. There are riches like a joy to the full, 
a joy that is overflowing. There are riches like a peace that surpasses all understanding. There are riches like a love, that, a perfect love that casts out fear. There are riches of eternal life, of a new heavens and a new earth and an inheritance. There are riches like Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And those are things, the salvation of our soul. Jesus says, what does it profit you if you gain all the riches of this world, but you lose your soul? And one of the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ, is the salvation of our soul in eternal life with Jesus forever. And so that, that's just this phenomenal thing. When we have this, is it worth it question, remember that Christ always enriches life. He always enriches life. In fact, uh, the apostle Peter, during Jesus's earthly ministry, he asked Jesus point blank, is it worth it? He said, you know, I, we've left everything for you. We've left our families. We've left our money. We've, we've, we're sleeping on the road. We're doing ministry. It's hard work. Ministry is difficult at times. And this is what Jesus says in response to Peter in Matthew 19, 29 through 30. He says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will e inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, maybe, maybe you're, you're a, money, a money person and you, you like to think about investments and financial advisors and all that sort of stuff. I think about, you know, in a good investment for us would be an investment that doubled. You know, you put in your money, you put in $100 and you got $200 back. It would say, whoa, that is a great investment, especially in the short term, right? And, uh, and yet Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is a hundredfold investment. Imagine that. Imagine you put in you put in a dollar, you get a hundred dollars back for every dollar. Like, like that's an incredible investment. That's really what Jesus is saying. He's promising, not that we're in it for the reward necessarily, but he's promising that our Father in heaven sees our lives that we live for the kingdom, and he rewards even what we do in secret. It will all be worth it. It will all be worth it. We have to keep that in mind. And, and it may not look like being first in this world. That's something people get confused on. Okay, well, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to become popular. I'm going to become famous. I'm going to become rich. I'm going to become beautiful or handsome, right? It's not always, you know, you're first in this world, but the last in this world for the sake of the kingdom will be first in the kingdom of heaven. And that's a beautiful promise that God will make all things right. That's the first element of Paul's calling. The second aspect of Paul's calling is, is this. Paul is called to bring the light of the gospel to everyone. He says, not only you know, am I preaching the, the riches of Christ to the Gentiles, but I want to bring light to everyone. I want to illuminate everyone, right? Open the eyes of the hearts of every single person to what God has been doing all along, to the mystery of this gospel, of the household of faith, uh, of the reconciliation between us and God. Paul is saying, I want to preach the gospel to everyone. Now, this isn't to say that everyone will understand the gospel, it's not to say that everyone will respond to the gospel, but Paul's really vision is I want everyone to hear the gospel. I want everyone to have the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. And the reality is this calling to shine God's light into the world is not unique to Paul. In fact, Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the light of the world. And this is really where we get our name Hill City Church. This is the vision behind why our name is Hill City Church, because Jesus would say that we, as the church, are meant to be a city set on a hill. 
And we are meant to, through our good works and through the message that we share, shine God's light into this dark world. And we know that this world is a dark, dark place that is in need of healing. It's in need of hope. It's in need of forgiveness and salvation and peace. And so here's our practice for this. Practice to show God to the world. Show God to the world. That, that's what it is for you and me. The church is this beautiful, it's not just an organization. It's not just a nonprofit. The, the church is this beautiful living thing that actually radiates the light of Christ into the dark world. And we show God to the world through our actions, through our good works, through you know, people see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So when you mow your neighbor's lawn, when you bring someone groceries, when you take someone a coffee, when you serve, when you do those changeable things with your hands and feet, when, when, we, when we care about our city and our community and our neighborhood, people will see our Father in heaven. But we don't just show God to the world only through our actions. We also share the message of the good news. And I, and I believe good works open the door for the good news of the gospel. And so we share our testimony. You might share your story of faith. You might share a way that God is moving in your life right now. You might share a prayer with someone. And it's using your words to actually get into conversations, to listen to someone, and to share how much you love Jesus. And the result is really phenomenal. What Paul says here, the result is that God's wisdom, God's manifold wisdom is on display with the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this is, this is kind of difficult language for us to grasp, but basically, God's wisdom is displayed in the heavens. Now, this could be in a positive sense, that the angels will see when the church is really what the church is supposed to be, the angels are going to be rejoicing. And we know that the angels rejoice when even one lost person becomes found. So when the church is what the church is supposed to be, and people are getting baptized, and people are coming to Christ, and people are growing to maturity. In one sense, God's wisdom is on display in the heavens, and the angels are going to rejoice in that. But in another sense, it's not just the, the positive rulers and authorities. It, Paul could also be talking about the negative side of things, the, the spiritual forces of darkness, like he talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, which he also calls rulers and authorities. And in that sense, the demons are not rejoicing when they see the church being the church. They're proved wrong. This is what Jesus said when he said he will build his church and even the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That when the church is being built up into the image of Christ and we are reaching the lost world, it actually proves the demons wrong. It proves Satan wrong. And we actually get to display God's wisdom into the heavenly realms, but also we get to display the wisdom of God into this earth. This is what New Testament scholar Clinton Arnold says. He says, The existence and growth of the church has implications that resound throughout the heaven and the entire spiritual realm. That's significant. That's amazing that, 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 that there's an audience. We don't always think about this, but there is a cosmic audience to the activity of what God is doing by his Holy Spirit in the church. And so the result of when we live out our calling together when we use those gifts of grace, when we are servants, when we are ministers, I believe in a priesthood believers, but we are all ministers of the gospel. There is an audience in the heavens that gets to see and the angels will celebrate the church reaching lost people in this world. And our calling is really linked with that community. 
Notice the church is by definition this plural group. It, it literally means the assembly, right? When the church assembles together and gathers together, not just when you individually live out your calling, although that's significant, but when we live out our calling in community, when we truly love one another, when we serve one another, and, and when we become this, this community of light, that's really when that light is going to shine into the rest of the world. Let's go ahead and continue our text in Ephesians 3 verse, uh, verse let's see, 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now we've talked about you know, the unsearchable riches. We've talked about the things that we've received as part of the gospel, but perhaps the best gift that we receive is actually access to God himself. That's one of the biggest things that's missing from our hearts before Christ is we have this severed or this broken relationship with God and we need a mediator. We need Jesus Christ to build that bridge, to open that door, to bring us access. And and I love what Paul says. He he uses these three words. He says that, that we have boldness, that we have access, and we have confidence. It's this idea of God has an open-door policy for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can talk to him anytime. You can worship him anytime. You can go before the very throne room of God. I mean, imagine that. And think about uh, some of your best friends or or your relatives where you know their garage code or you have a key to their house or you know that you could stop by, you could knock on their door. You could walk in at any point in time. They have an open-door policy with you. And that open-door policy is not for everyone. It's not for strangers. It's not for, you know, door-to-door salesmen. It's for people who are in relationship. And when we are in relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, we have this opportunity to have access to God the Father. So here's that practice for us. Practice is live life with God. If we have access, we've been given access to a relationship with our Heavenly Father, live life with Him. Don't take that for granted. We, we should live life with him in prayer. Would you commit to spending time daily in prayer throughout your day? Like that text message conversation, you might have you know, someone that you're kind of texting each other throughout the day and the conversation never really stops. I think that's really what Paul is saying uh, in, in elsewhere in the New Testament where he talks about praying without ceasing. He's not saying that you, you know, you're just saying words every, you know, for every moment of every day till you die. He's saying that, that we have this unending, open-ended conversation with God and, and that we would be people of, of really faithful prayer where we keep those prayers going. In worship, would those be opportunities? That's why I believe joining us in a corporate and, and, and eventually in-person worship gathering for you is such a significant thing that we're missing out if it's an individual-only faith. But in the corporate body of believers, singing, taking the Lord's Supper together, praying, uh, be, being washed by the word together, that we have this opportunity to, to really have access to God in a different way to, to experience God and experience his presence. This means walking by the Holy Spirit, being obedient to the things that God is whispering to your heart and nudging you and pulling you and directing you towards. And it means looking at scripture consistently and allowing God to speak into your life from scripture and to live your life with God. But for you, maybe you're watching this and, and you do not yet have a faith in Jesus. Today, I want to tell you that you can have access to God. 
that you can have confidence in your relationship with God. And maybe confidence is the last word you would describe. Maybe you think about your past, what you've done. Maybe you think about how far you've been from God. Maybe, maybe you just have been a little bit apathetic about God. Whatever it's been for you, you can have your relationship with God as something that you are fully confident so that when Jesus returns or when we die and when we'll you know, meet Jesus face to face, we will have this moment where we're not going to cower in fear. We're not going to be ashamed, but we can stand confidently before the God of the universe. Not because of our own righteousness, because of the righteousness we are given because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, Jesus is the perfect son of God who lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for your sins and, and in your place. And then Jesus, three days later, rose from the grave and that was a victory where he shows that he can raise you up into a new life in him. And he asks us now to follow him and to put our faith in him. Notice that. Notice that, that what Paul says is we have confidence, we have access, we have boldness through faith. It's through our faith. We are saved by God's grace. There's nothing we could do to earn it, but we have to receive that gift through faith. That means responding to the gospel. And today can be the day. And I would invite you today, if the Holy Spirit is moving in you, to pray and ask God to forgive your sins and to lead your life. And the step that Jesus asked us to take to put our faith in him is a step called baptism. It's getting dunked under the water, being raised back up, and it's showing that you're dedicating your whole life to following him. And if you have more questions about baptism or if you want to sign up to get baptized, you can go to hillcityboise.org baptism. But for us, I also think about this last statement that Paul makes here at the end where he says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. You know, he's in prison, remember? You know, he, he's living out his calling and it's, it's ended him up in some really difficult places along that journey. And he says that he's in prison because of the Gentiles. His ministry to the Gentiles is ultimately what kept landing him in prison or in difficult spots. And he says, don't lose heart. Don't, don't feel too bad for me, right? Pray for me. You know, pray that I would make it. But, but don't feel too bad for me. And that's our practice for us today is don't lose heart. You might have this, is it worth it question. Maybe right now you've been struggling or wrestling with your faith. Over the last year, it's been a really incredibly difficult year. We have unsearchable riches found in Christ. And there's a cost available with, or a cost that comes with our calling. But we got to count that cost with the, with the salvation of our souls. We've got to count that cost with the unsearchable riches, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You might think about the rejection for following Jesus that you experience. Maybe you've been made fun of. Maybe you've been rejected by your friends or your family. But we've got to realize we are accepted in the family of God. And the rejection we experience from mankind is nothing compared to the acceptance from God, our Father. Maybe you've experienced just some darkness in this world. Difficulty, maybe, maybe, maybe mental struggles, mental health struggles. Maybe you've experienced you know, sin, temptation. Maybe you've experienced brokenness from this world. Well, we have the true light of, of life coming into this world. Jesus Christ, he himself, and, and the good news of the gospel, is the light in our lives. And, and so don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, don't, don't abandon your faith that I promise you, I promise you, it's not always going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you 
helps you follow Jesus with everything.